All right. Well, if you could turn to your Bibles, to Acts chapter 8, we're going to need it this morning. We're going to be in chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, finishing uh, the chapter we started last week. And today, we're going to talk about something that can make a lot of people uncomfortable. I know it's something that kind of makes me uncomfortable. That just the thought of it can make us squirm in our seat. What we're going to talk about today is sharing your faith in Jesus with someone that doesn't believe. We're going to talk about personal evangelism today. And uh, this is a topic that I admit that I'm not very good at sharing my faith, even though I definitely do it. Something I struggle with a lot and something I think we all kind of struggle with, the thought of sharing our faith with someone that we don't know. But something that we are all called to do as followers of Jesus, we're all called to share our faith, to share the gospel with people that don't know it. Today, we're going to be looking at that in Acts chapter 8. I remember um, whenever I was at a church, the church I was at in Augusta, I was uh, talking to the pastor about this, personal evangelism, actually sharing your faith with someone. And um, and about, you know, maybe, maybe there's something we could do as a church to encourage people to share their faith with, you know, those around them. And the pastor's response to that was um, to focus, he said, we do teach evangelism, but we teach it through service and outreach and hospitality and giving people a donut and giving people coffee as they walk through the door. And that's our evangelism. And, uh, and, I, was, and I thought, whenever I heard that, I was like, well, yeah, that's nice. But it's more than that, right? Sharing the faith is more than just service. Although it is that, we share through service, but it's more than that. It's actual words coming out of your mouth. That's, that's what sharing the faith is, right? It's sharing to someone that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and rose from the grave, and that we have to turn from our sins and place our faith in Him. That, that is what evangelism is. It's not, it's not less than... Um, it's not just service, but it's also speaking. And so that kind of rubbed me the wrong way that the pastor said that, and, and it, it was what it was. But it reminded me of a, of a quote um, that he was essentially saying that I didn't agree with. And the quote was this, share the gospel, use words if necessary. That's the quote. I think it's from St. Francis of Assisi, some dead guy who's been dead forever, Okay. Um, he said that. So the implication is we share the gospel through our actions, and we do do that. Um, but what we're going to see is that it requires more than just our actions. It requires actual words, actually meeting with someone and having a conversation and opening up your mouth and sharing with them the good news of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to see today in, in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, as we take a look at our guy, Philip, that we met last week, who was ministering to the Samaritans. Now he's moving from the Samaritans to the middle of nowhere, we're going to see, and he's going to start sharing the gospel with this Ethiopian eunuch, this one dude in the middle of nowhere. And so I'm just going to read for us in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, and we're going to pick up three things about that, need to, that we need to remember as we are called to share our faith with others. This is what it says in verse 26. I'm just going to read to the end of the chapter. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, 
to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. The Ethiopian eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this from Isaiah 53. Like a shepherd, he was led to slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens on his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. That was the passage that the Ethiopian was reading. Verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I asked, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with his scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus as he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So what we're going to see today through Philip, what we're going to learn today through Philip are three important um, aspects of personal evangelism that we cannot forget if we are going to preach the gospel to people in our own lives that don't know him. The first thing we see from Philip from this episode is that personal evangelism is spirit-led. Personal evangelism is spirit-led. And we can see the power and the movement of the spirit a lot in this section. Look at verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, so God's messenger comes to Philip and says, you're in Samaria, get out of here, go down to the middle of nowhere. That's essentially what he says, go to a desert place. So he does that, and then in verse 29, it says the Spirit again prompts Philip to go up to this chariot and knock on the door and say, hey, what's going on? How can I help? So we see sort of the power of the Spirit already kind of moving amongst this guy in the background, the prompting him, um, calling him to, to engage. And what this reminds us is that evangelism, by its very nature, is a spiritual act. At the root of it, it's a spiritual act. It's more than just words. Sharing the faith is more than words. And it's more than head knowledge. You can know a lot about Jesus, you can know a lot about the Bible, but it's not about that at the end of the day. It is a spiritual act because we are calling people from darkness into light. Evangelism, I'm going to argue, is so much more than just words. It's power. It's speaking light into darkness. It's spiritual warfare. That's, that's what it is at, at the end of it. Whenever you are declaring Jesus to someone, you are speaking the truth of God's word into darkness. The Bible says in Colossians that whenever we have come to faith in Jesus, we've passed from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. And so whenever we're sharing Jesus, we are entering into that dark light battle. 
It's a big deal. That's what I guess I'm getting at. It's a big deal. This is what Ephesians 6, verse 12 says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I know whenever I feel convicted to share with someone, um, I'm really cognizant of what the other person thinks about me or how I'm going to initiate conversation or if I'm saying the right thing. And it's all about me, 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 right? That's what I'm getting at. But the root of evangelism and the root of sharing is absolutely nothing to do with me. It's spiritual light versus spiritual darkness. Our opposition is demonic, the demonic realm. That sounds kind of like dramatic, but that's what it says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. And whenever we share Jesus with someone, we are kind of running right at that. And here I am scared about I'm, I'm going to look weird. Whenever what is actually going on is I'm speaking light into darkness. That's what I need to be thinking about, not how I come off. You know what I'm saying here? Not how I come off, but the power of God to fill me up to speak the gospel. Personal evangelism is spirit Led. We should be more concerned about what God is doing and, and the f- battle being fought than about how we're coming off. Listen to what Jesus says in John 3.16. We all know the, the text, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his, his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. But we typically stop there. We don't go on to 17 or 18 or 19. But this is what verse 19 says. This is in the same breath. Jesus gives the gospel... But then in 19, it says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The gospel comes, and it speaks light to darkness. And the issue is people have to change their minds. If people are going to embrace Jesus, they have to let go of what's in darkness, and they have to come to light. And a lot of times people don't want to do that, right? That's what he says, verse 19. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's what's going on whenever we share the gospel. Personal evangelism is a spiritual act and it's much more than words. That's why we have to be prayed up, right? That's why we have to be full of the spirit. And and that's what we see with the early church. They were so spirit-filled, Over and over and over again, the people, the men and women of the church were described as spirit-filled people. They had to be because they they are presenting light into darkness and calling people to turn from their evil ways and embrace a new life in Jesus. That's a spiritual battle here. No one wants to hear that they're a bad person, right? No one wants to hear that the things that they desire are often at odds with what God has called them to. No one wants to hear that they cannot be good enough to make their way into heaven. No one wants to be so stripped of their own ability as as that, okay? That's why we have to rely on the Spirit of God to convince people of that. 
That's why we have to rely on the Holy Spirit and think of evangelism as that way, that it's not because I'm just really good at talking with someone, but that God's going to fill my words up with power to preach into darkness and to call people to turn. The changing of the mind is a spiritual act. Personal evangelism is a spiritual act. So sharing our faith then is more than just striking up a conversation. It is striking up a conversation. We need to talk with people, but it's more than that. It starts a lot earlier than just striking up a conversation. Sharing our faith starts first and foremost with just spending time with Jesus, being filled with the Spirit, being in His Word, being in prayer, being amongst His people. That's where personal evangelism starts. I remember working, uh, working for Larry on the dock um, two years ago-ish. I... Uh, I was taking a personal evangelism class, a class on evangelism. And I just loved the way the Lord worked it out because up until that time, I had worked at a church pretty much my whole time in seminary. And so I wasn't around any lost people. And now the one time I take an evangelism class where I have to share my faith every single week, I'm hanging out with lobstermen all day. Seriously, 70 hours a week. The Lord just kind of worked it out that way. And it's, it's awesome. And I had got to share with a lot of people. Um, but whenever we started the class, what I anticipated was, you know, memorizing scripture on, you know, different parts of the Bible that talk about the gospel or tactics and how to talk to people. But the way they started it was a focus on personal devotion to God, a focus on your personal time with the Lord in prayer, your personal time with the Lord in his word, your personal time just being with Jesus, because it's from the overflow of a life with Christ that you will Share Christ. If you are empty, it's not going to come out. If you're not filling yourself up with the Spirit, then you're not going to be able to, to engage in this spiritual act. And it makes sense. So much of our evangelism is weak because we think it's just an act, a task. But it's much more bigger than what we do. It's all focused on what the Spirit does. That's what we see here. The truth is, being led by the Spirit and anything that the Holy Spirit does, whenever we respond, are called to respond, it's often uncomfortable and inconvenient. To live a Spirit-filled life is often uncomfortable and inconvenient. Consider Philip here in Acts 8. He was in Samaria, okay? He was having great success. Everyone's getting saved. People are getting healed. Everyone's having a great time. Peter and John came. They gave him a good attaboy, pat on the back. You're doing a great job. And then the angel of the Lord comes and he says, hey, go from Samaria 40 miles down to the middle of nowhere to the desert. He says, go to this path and go up and talk to this Ethiopian guy who you have no, nothing in common with. That's both uncomfortable and inconvenient. But what does he do? He gets up and he leaves. Philip here responds to the Spirit no matter what it meant for him. He literally went to the middle. It says it's a desert place. That's what it says. Rise, go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. If God told you, hey, I want you to get in your car and drive up to Madawaska, Maine, would you do it? <laughs> if you really felt like God told you to do it, would you do it? Having no idea. Philip doesn't know what is supposed to, he's supposed to be looking for, right? He just, he just says, go. And he gets up and he goes. And it's not until he gets there that he figures out what's going on. 
Living a spirit-filled life, responding to the spirit is often uncomfortable and inconvenient. But the truth is, Jesus has not called us to a comfortable life. And Jesus has not called us to a convenient life. That's something that, that I'm learning more and more. If Jesus, the same man that told us to take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow him, why would we expect anything else, right? To follow Jesus is uncomfortable and oftentimes is inconvenient. But it's full of joy. Beyond the cross, it's always full of joy. Hebrews 12, if you remember the text, it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross was both uncomfortable and inconvenient, but the joy of God was beyond the cross. And so he endured the cross for the joy. The same is true for us. We often don't want to go through the cross. We don't want to go through the burden. We don't want to go through the dying of self, and we don't want to go for the joy. We want to settle for what's comfortable, for what's convenient. Whenever we do that, we miss what's glorious, and that is enduring the cross for the sake of Jesus. That's what he did. That's his example to us. That's what Philip does, and he meets this Ethiopian man following the Spirit, and he shares the gospel. There's always joy. I know in in my own life, whenever I've gotten over myself and have actually engaged with people and shared with people and talked with people, the joy that comes. I remember um, my Hannah's sister, Corey, has a longtime boyfriend. His name is Josh. And um, we were at a wedding um, together. And I just was trying a conversation. We talked for an hour. And I was just trying to give him Christ. And he wouldn't listen, you know. And it was just a back and forth. We were trying to talk over the music. It was loud. Everyone was dancing, you know. So, But after it, I was just so, I was ecstatic because I knew that he heard it. He was still had issues. He was listening, and he, I don't think he believes, but I knew he had an opportunity to respond. There was joy in that. It wasn't easy, but it was good. With Philip, we see a spirit-filled life is an uncomfortable, inconvenient life, but it's a joyous life. That's what we see at the very end. There's rejoicing. They go their separate way. We're going to get there later on. But a spirit, personal evangelism is spirit-led, and spirit-filled. we got to remember that. The second thing is this about personal evangelism. Personal evangelism, sharing your faith with people, breaks down boundaries. And we've already seen that theme last week with the Samaritans. If you remember the Jews and the Samaritans, the Jews and the Samaritans don't mix. Now we're going to see a continuation of that with Philip. He's going to break down some boundaries here with this guy. So I'm going to quickly read this scripture again um, to get sort of a profile of this dude he's dealing with. Verse 27, it says, He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace the Queen. Um, He had come from Jerusalem to worship and was returning to his chariot. Um, He was returning, seating his chariot, going back to where he came from. So who is this guy? Well, the first thing is he's an Ethiopian. He's from away. He's not from Jerusalem. Like me, I'm from away, right? I'm from Mississippi. And as far as I understand, Elliot will be from away, and it won't be until her kids will be Mainers. You guys will have to tell me that, um, even though Elliot was born in Maine. But I'm from away, just like this guy. He's from away, so he's a little bit suspect until you get to know him, and he's an okay guy. But that's the first thing that, that goes against him. 
The second thing is this. He's a, what's called a God-fearer. A God-fearer. What's a, a God-fearer? A God-fearer is uh, a Gentile. So I'll define terms. In the whole world, you have Jews and Gentiles. We know the Jews are. Gentiles are everybody else. So we're all Gentiles, technically. Um, a God-fearer is a Gentile that worships the Jewish God. So this is a guy who went to the temple and worshiped God, even though he's a Gentile, he believes in the Jewish God, and now he's coming from Jerusalem back home to Ethiopia to just continue his daily duties. So there's a boundary, and I had a map here, but in Jerusalem, there was a specific court called the Court of the Gentiles, that Gentiles could go in this court, but they couldn't go forward anymore. If you were Jewish, you couldn't actually go into the temple. You could only be in the court outside of the temple, right? So this guy literally had a boundary between himself and the God he served. He couldn't go into the temple because he was a Gentile. He was unclean. So not only is he Ethiopian, but he's a God-fearing Gentile that cannot engage in the worship of God. He can't even go into his house, okay? That's, that's a boundary. Talk about a boundary. The third thing is this. He was a eunuch. You guys know what a eunuch is? I'm sure you guys know what a eunuch is. Eunuch is a castrated male, so a guy that's, you know what I mean, okay? So um, this was common back in the day to have eunuchs serve in the courts, especially alongside women. They would castrate the men so they wouldn't get any ideas as they serve alongside the royal court, especially the ladies here. Um, But as a eunuch, um, there was specific texts in the Old Testament uh, in concerning eunuchs. So Deuteronomy 23.1, this is what it says. Uh, let me find it here. Okay, so this is what, this is what Deuteronomy 23.1 says. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. God had a a law that said eunuchs could not be a part of the assembly of God's people. Talk about being on the outside looking in. He's an Ethiopian, he's a God-fearer, and he's a eunuch, and God specifically said eunuchs cannot be a part of what we're doing. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? That God says, these people cannot be a part of what we're doing. It's what it Whose male organ is cut off shall not enter into the assembly of the Lord. Talk about being excluded. But God specifically told Philip to go to this eunuch. God specifically told Philip to go all the way across the region into the middle of nowhere to share the gospel with this guy. If God didn't want eunuchs to be a part of the assembly, why is he sending Philip to this guy to share the gospel with him? What's going on here? Well, what we see in this act of Philip and this prompting of God is a fulfillment of the gospel. Now that Jesus has come, everything has changed. The barriers that were up before are now broken down. This is what Isaiah 56 says. Isaiah had a prophecy about eunuchs. This is what he says. For thus says the Lord, this is Isaiah talking, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name 
better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Eunuchs were excluded from the assembly of God's people, but God said through Isaiah that there will be a day that this exclusion will be no longer. There will be a day that eunuchs, even eunuchs, who follow me, who keep my commandments, who love me, who have faith in me, will be brought into my house, and they will have an inheritance better than full-blooded Jewish sons and full-blooded Jewish daughters. God made a promise to Isaiah, through Isaiah, that these people who are on the outside would be brought in. And that has found its fulfillment in the gospel, in Jesus. Now, through Philip sharing Jesus with this eunuch, a man who was once excluded is now included. And that's incredibly good news. Because you got to know this eunuch knows Deuteronomy 23.1. He's got to know what it says if he actually worships God. But he's also got to know that Isaiah 56, what Isaiah 56 says. And now Philip is here sharing the gospel with him, pointing him to that good news. That's incredibly good news. If you were on the outside looking in, understanding that you were separated in actual physical boundaries, wouldn't that be good news to you? And it should be. Because the truth is, we are all just like this eunuch. We are all on the outside looking in. We are all separated from God. Is anyone here Jewish? No. Is anyone here Hebrew? No. What about all the promises that God made? They were all to the Jews, right? Not to the Gentiles, not to us. We were all excluded, but no longer. Why? The same gospel, the same message that includes this eunuch is the same message that includes us. We are in the same boat as the eunuch, and we are brought in. This is what Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 says. It says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. This is Paul talking to me and you as he talks to the Ephesians. You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Can you imagine living in this time and, and having faith in this God, but him being so far off that you were not included in these promises, that there was an entire feast before you, but you were outside of the window looking at it and you couldn't partake? That was our situation. It says alienated, strangers, having no hope without God in this world. But then in verse 13 it says this, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is such a beautiful promise. And that is us. All of us were excluded, but now we are included through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same gospel that Philip brings to the eunuch is the same gospel that is brought to us. And we, alongside the eunuch, are included, provided we place our faith in Christ, turn from our sin, and follow him. Personal evangelism breaks down boundaries because the gospel breaks down boundaries. The gospel tells us that all these boundaries that we've created in this world don't matter. And there's a ton of boundaries today, right? We talked last week, Democrat, Republican, black, white, rich, poor. All the boundaries in this world that kind of keep us from engaging with people 
that we sort of pigeonhole people or, or put them in this place in our own minds. We wouldn't say it out loud, but maybe put them here or put them there. The gospel tells us that there's only one boundary that matters. And it's the boundary between a holy God and a sinful man. That's the only boundary that really matters. And it's that boundary that's been forever destroyed through Jesus. That's why we're included. The boundary, whenever this eunuch went to worship his God, and he literally could not continue into the temple, Jesus is the temple. Whenever he could not offer the sacrifice, Jesus is the sacrifice. Whenever he could not go and engage with the priests, Jesus is the priest. Everything disappears, and it's this eunuch and Jesus. The same for you. The same for me. Everything disappears, and it's you and Christ. You are reconciled to God through Jesus and Jesus alone. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is a radical message. That is a crazy message. That is a 180 from what these people knew. Why do you think the eunuch was so happy? Do we get that? Do we rejoice alongside the eunuch? Do we know just how crazy it is for us to be saved? It's an amazing thing. So my question for you is, understanding the radical inclusion of the gospel, do you practice the radical inclusion of the gospel? Or do you operate with the same boundaries in your own mind? And we all do, I think. It's hard to break that apart. But whenever you see life through a gospel lens, you see people in their need. You see people in their separation from God. That's what defines people. I remember as I was really figuring out what it meant to follow Jesus, I would watch movies and I would think, I wonder if this person's saved. I know it's kind of silly, but that's what I was operating with. I started thinking about my siblings. I wonder if they really know Jesus. Before, I would have said, yeah, we grew up in church. But now that I know what it means to follow Christ, I wonder if they really know him. Or I wonder if they're separated from God the way that that I was. Things change. The way you see people change. Do you practice the radical intentionality of the gospel? And initiate contact with people for the sake of sharing Jesus? Do you practice radical obedience to the gospel that sends us out beyond our comfort zones? I love my comfort zone. I do not want to talk with people, but I have to out of obedience to Christ. I have no choice. One way I experienced this in in a way very similar to Philip was uh, our uh, BSU, Baptist Student Union in school, um, had an international ministry. And so we had a lot of international students that would come to the, this, to our you know, Bible study stuff. And you know, talking with someone who has broken English, a lot of these guys were from China, or um, I think there's some Haitian folks, Brazilian folks. Talking to these people who had broken English and trying to engage and find common ground and then share the gospel, it was different, but it was good. And it was an exact representation of what's going on with Philip here breaking those boundaries to share Christ. Personal evangelism breaks boundaries because the gospel breaks boundaries. And then the final thing we see with Philip is this, and this is um, verses 30 through 35, and I'll read it. Personal evangelism is built on the word of God. Personal evangelism is built on the word of God. This is what it says in verse 30 down to verse 35. So Philip goes to the chariot to engage with the Ethiopian, He says this, 
um, Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? So the guy is reading out loud. That sounds kind of weird. We don't really read out loud, but that's what they did back in the day. They typically read out loud. And Philip asked him, do you know what the heck is going on here? Do you need some help? Verse 31. And the, the eunuch said, how can I unless someone guides me? What a softball, right? Philip's just going to knock this out of the park. This guy says, I'm reading, but I need someone to explain it to me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was from Isaiah 53, another softball. This is like the passage in the Old Testament that points to Jesus. This is like, this is a home run. So this is the Scripture. Like a sheep, um, he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before it shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. So Philip doesn't know what's going on. And he asked Philip, about whom, I asked, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? So who is the him in this chapter that Philip does, uh, the eunuch doesn't know? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He uses the Bible to share the gospel. He uses scripture to share the gospel. Now, admittedly, I have never had this type of situation where someone comes up to me and says, hey, I'm reading Isaiah 53. Can you, can you tell me what's going on? Like that never happens, especially around here. So this is, a, like, a, like I said, a softball sort of deal that Philip knocks out of the park. But the point remains, he uses scripture to share. He uses God's word to share. And the second thing, he understood God's word enough to share. He understood it. In evangelism, we have the tools we need. And the tool is God's word. Philip explains God's word. He's making sense of God's word. So there's three quick observations and one application here. The first is this. God's word is sufficient in evangelism. In Acts, we've seen a lot of proclamation, a lot of teaching, a lot of healings, a lot of exorcisms, a lot of crazy miracles, and people believe. But in this situation, we just see someone explaining Isaiah 53. And it is enough. It is sufficient. Ephesians 6 tells us that, um, again, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And then it lists off the armor of God. Maybe you know, we have the breastplate of righteousness the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, all that good stuff. It only lists one offensive weapon in that whole spiel. And that offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our only offensive weapon to fight this spiritual warfare is the Bible. That's all we got. The Bible and prayer. It says prayer after that. All we have is this. All we have is this. Do we know how to use it? Right? If you're going to be trained in swordsmanship, then you practice. You're familiar with your sword, or you think about a gun, right? You go to a shooting range. You're familiar with your weapon. You know it. Are you familiar? Are you equipped? And this isn't to make you feel bad. If you're not, it's fine. It's just to take stock of where you're at. This is all we have, is God's word, but it's all we need. It's all Philip needed to share the gospel here. And the third thing, all of scripture points to Jesus. From Genesis 1 all the way to the end, it all points to Christ. It says that he began in Ephesians 53, sorry, Isaiah 53, implying that he didn't end there. 
He knew where Christ was. And all he had was the Old Testament. He didn't even have the rest of it. He just had the Old Testament. And he explained to him Christ. Personal evangelism is built on the Word. The application is this. And it takes the form of a question. If I asked you to share the gospel with me only through quoting scripture, could you do it? Don't, don't say, you know, well, you need to turn from your sins and place. I got it. Book, chapter, verse. If I asked you to share the gospel with me by just giving me the book, the chapter, and the verse, could you do it? Do you know where to look? Do you know where it is? Are you familiar with your sword? Can you run into battle? Again, not to make you feel bad, just to take stock. Something to think about. Have you ever sat down with someone and worked them through passages that point to Jesus? If you haven't, that's okay. But let's get equipped. And I'm going to equip you right now. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Write it down. Commit to memory. Or go back and listen to this, this message on, on our website. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 tells us, that we were born dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse 5 says, But God in Jesus made us alive. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of works. That's the gospel. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Romans 3, 21 to 26. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and now justified by His grace through Jesus. A lot of pastors, theologians say, Romans 3, 21 to 26 is the whole Bible in one, met, in one passage. In, one, in five verses, the whole Bible condensed. Equip yourself. If you have those two passages, you're all set. You're good to go. Just go to town. Equip yourself. That's what Philip was showing us. He was equipped with the word. And so as we close, what's the conclusion? What do we see? Well, the Ethiopian eunuch, he responds... Verse, 20, verse 36, he says this, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, so they, he's baptized, we see the Spirit of the Lord here. He carries, he carries Philip away to Caesarea, and then the eunuch continues back down to Ethiopia, where he is from, where there was one disciple, now there are two God has multiplied followers of Christ. The Ethiopian takes the gospel to his people. Philip takes the gospel to a new people, sharing the gospel in their own spheres, preaching the gospel to the people that are around them. God has called all of us to be Philip's. To people we know, to people we don't know, to groups of people, one-on-one. God has called all of us This man, Philip, is known as Philip the Evangelist. And it's a well-deserved title. He is Philip the Evangelist. He is spirit-led. He knows the word. And he breaks boundaries. That's what God has called us to. In the spirit of this, a little next step for you guys. In the back, by the coffee over there, we have some goodie bags made. It's a cup with some candy in it and a little invite card. Uh, we were going to pass those out for Halloween. The weather was bad. We didn't get a chance to. We've already passed out. We've had four trash bags. We already passed out three of them. This last bit, we're going to encourage you guys to grab a few. Think about people in your life that you've been meaning to connect with and use it as a tool. A neighbor, a friend, coworker, whatever. 
Use that as a tool. Invite them to church. Say, hey, our church put this together. We'd love to have you come sometime. See where the conversation goes. Let's put some feet to Scripture here so that we can respond in the same way. We have our own Ethiopian eunuchs in our life. We are called to be Philip's to them, people that are waiting us, waiting for us to respond with the Spirit, with the Word, to break those boundaries. May we respond to that message today. Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, thank you for um, this morning, and thank you for the, the challenge, Lord, of sharing your word. It, it, I struggle with it. I know some people don't, Lord. I know a lot of people that don't. And you have gifted us in different ways, but the truth is you have called all of us to share. And the beauty of it is you've provided everything we need to do that. You've provided your spirit. You've provided the gospel. You've provided your word. We just got to do it. And so I just want to pray over everyone here that they would respond to you, that, that you would give them boldness, Lord, that you would equip them with your word, and that they would just knock it out, Lord. This is spiritual warfare. It's a battle. Even feelings of inadequacy or, or awkwardness or just um, timidity, Lord, that's not from you. That is from Satan, and that's the truth. It's a spiritual battle. May we fight the battle well. May you fight the battle alongside us, Lord. So I just want to pray over that. I thank you for um, this morning to look at your word and pray that you would convict us, encourage us, empower us, and send us out, Lord. I love you, God. Thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.